welcome to Pot Academy. I'm Tess Woodcraft. This week I'm talking to Professor Rosalind George about her research on friendships amongst young girls. When I caught up with Rosalind on a beautiful sunny day in her office in Goldsmiths, University of London, she was preparing to deliver her inaugural lecture on the research which she'd entitled Dancing Through a Minefield, The Precariousness of a Young Girl's Friendships. So I started by asking her what had inspired her to undertake the research. It arose out of actually my own experience of schoolgirl friendships when I was at primary school. I found myself being excluded, included, excluded, and for no reason, for no reason that I could understand. I felt bewildered and dismayed and isolated by the whole process. I didn't really think too much about it. I put it to the back of my mind. And then when I had my daughter, I noticed the same pattern repeated and I spoke to friends and they said oh that's what happened with their daughters and it's what's happened to them and their friends and their nieces and it just seemed to be quite a a major problem and a major concern that was happening amongst these very young girls primary school age girls actually so I then began to see what literature had been written about it and I found out that whilst there was a a fair amount of work around adolescent girls, older girls, there was virtually nothing on these primary age girls. The literature there was around these primary age girls sort of set them up as being compliant, friendly, warm. Not, I'm saying they're not warm, but you know, easygoing, um, biddable, and et cetera, et cetera. And there was no actually apparent concern about the fact that they may not be operating in this way in their schools. So I then decided to actually do some research on this because I felt there was a huge gap in the literature around this. Do you think you have to be careful because because of your own experience there might be any bias there? What, what impact did that have on the methodology? I mean, I don't want to talk a lot about the methodology, but it's quite interesting to think you were, in a sense, passionately concerned about this issue. Yeah, I I actually have always believed that uh, the best research comes from the passion that you feel for research. And I suppose if one thinks about grounded theory where you're supposed to come with a kind of clean sheet, I'm not sure that that can ever be the case. So I came with a, a view, I have to say, that there was a problem, that there was an issue that I needed to address, that I wanted to address actually, and so my own position within the research was that of a, of, of a passionate um, recorder and observer of young girls' friendships and trying to make a contribution to the literature on the, the work about girls in general because much of the previous work on boys had been the kind of early sociological, sociology of education, ethnographic studies of boys and how they operated within their own friendship groups, their own peer groups at school, work done as early as Paul Willis's Learning to Labour, that famous study, Paul Corrigan's work, and then the more recent work on masculinities, where they've looked at subcultures, uh, Connolly's work around that. I wanted to look at girls, and I chose them deliberately because I felt the literature was fairly light, especially with, as I said, primary-age girls. You were looking 
at the nature and function of friendship. And then you went on to discover certain things about that. But can you just talk to us a little bit about what the nature and function of friendship actually is? Um, I think within any literature, uh, it says that we all need friends. Without friends, clearly we become isolated um, and it impacts on every aspect of our, our being. However, what I found within a kind of sociological perspective on this is that friendship and the function of friendship is that kind of sense of belonging and that needs to, be long, to belong. But there is a construction around what girls are supposed to have as friendship. Girls are positioned as being much more relational than, say, boys. Girls are valued for making good relations, for putting other people before themselves, for supposedly thinking about others and allowing others space as individuals. Now, because of that valuing of their friendship, the problem comes in them actually having to do well at school. We have now the kind of notion of the supergirl who has to do well at school, has to succeed in exams, has to be good at everything, and it becomes an impossible ideal. If you're always putting someone before yourself, how on earth can you actually then compete with them? Girls are not given permission to compete in the same way as boys are, I don't think. And girls, in terms of, I said, having to put others before themselves, it actually does put them in an impossible situation. So how's that reflected in the nature of their friendships? Because they have to be... um, They're seen as being valued for being good, for being kind, for valuing others. They perform for friendship. And in my research, when the girls talked about friendship... They talked about we have group hugs, we save each spaces at, um, at lunchtime, we save sp- space for our friends. But sometimes we don't always like the girl, but we don't kind of let others know. We, she appears to be part of our friendship group and we keep her in our friendship group, um, but really we don't like her that much. It's interesting that because in terms of performance, because of course one of the friendships that they held up as a model, the friendship they yearned for, was that between Bianca and Tiffany in EastEnders, wasn't it? That closeness that they all seemed to want and um, and, and presumably tried to emulate. Well, the thing is that girls are told that they have to have friends and this notion of a best friend. And it was the marginalised girls who actually said they wanted a friend like Tiffany and Bianca, who were were created on on the soap opera as the most ideal kind of friendship, which seemed problem-free. And the the, the girls who were on the margins actually yearned for that kind of friendship, a friendship they could rely on, a friendship where they knew they wouldn't be suddenly dumped one day and then included the next day. Someone who'd always be there to kind of listen to them, to share their problems with, to to be friends with, someone to walk home with, someone to share homework with and those sorts of things. But the reality of it was that wasn't the case at all. And so there's a kind of idealisation, a romanticised notion of what friendship is, which none of the girls really experienced as a kind of reality. You talk there about the marginalised girls and you also spend some time looking at 
the sort of the, the girl at the heart of the friendship group as well, the the strong person who is often recognised by teachers too as the leader of a group and having leadership qualities. What I found in my research was that in most of the friendship networks, you would find a girl leader and then you would have a kind of inner circle. So she would be placed at the centre. Then you would have an inner circle, which were the kind of closer friends, and then an outer circle where the more marginalised girls would be situated within the friendship group. However, in order for the leader to maintain her position... Those girls who are in the inner circle could sometimes be moved to the marginalised group and the marginalised girls moved into the inner circle. That way, the, the leader, actually, by making all the other girls' positions uncertain, left her in a position of power because any challenge to her power, she just moved to the margins and brought those girls into the inner circle by inviting them home for tea, you know, going shopping with them, actually sitting with them and those sorts of things. So every every other girl was kind of left uncertain and that's how she maintained her power. The girl leader um, tended to have the qualities of... Um, she was certainly the most socially skilled. She was certainly the cleverest, as clever if not the cleverest, in the group or possibly in her primary classroom quite often a very attractive, charismatic kind of person. And because of her charisma and because she was so socially skilled and, of course, most articulate, she could kind of dupe the teacher as well, who took on her allocation of popularity. And therefore, she would set herself up to keep the teacher on board as a kind of victim of her popularity. So, for example, she would say... Um, Oh, the problem is that, you know, I want to be everybody's friend, but Chloe wants to be my friend and Tiffany wants to be my friend and I just don't know which way to turn. And so the teacher would then be very, very sympathetic. And I have several examples in the research of the teacher sort of saying, oh, you know, this poor, you know, popular girl, she has to manage all these other children and how do all these other girls and how does she do it? So it becomes problematic for her. And one of the things that you did notice was that when the, the popular, apparently popular central girl moves to secondary school, things change because the girls' friendships generally are under review and there's a lot of shifting and changing. Yes, um, that's quite interesting because when I started the research, I thought the kind of charismatic quality or the leadership qualities w would sort of follow through. And... And so I was quite interested in looking at what were those qualities. And in fact, what I found was when the girls went to secondary school, and of course, initially the, the, the core friendships got fragmented because they all went off to different secondary schools. But the leaders in each case, where they went to secondary schools, they'd lost their power after almost a year at secondary school. And I think it was this kind of structural arrangements of the secondary school, which exacerbated that that loss of power because there were first of all what happened when they're at primary school they've been leaders and they'd never really had to look at their own position as a leader because they knew they had an unquestioning following from the other girls so when they went to secondary school they didn't actually have any resources to call upon when they found themselves becoming more and more marginalized whereas the girls who'd been part of either just the inner circle or the marginalized girls learnt 
they'd learnt from that experience. And you got a couple of girls, for example, would say, well, when I went to secondary school, I looked around to see who the noisy group were or who the powerful group were, and I kept away from them. Or another girl actually said to her mother she wanted to go to a totally different school from the girls that she'd been friends with at primary school in a way to break away from the friendship group because what they found at primary school was it was so hard to break away. So when they went to secondary schools, the girl leaders hadn't had to kind of reflect on why they were powerful girls. So there was no learning that had taken place. But secondly, as I said, it was the structural arrangements of the secondary school where they were sent off with a different group of girls for, for science, another group for English, maths, and they're all different, different spaces in the school. And so the locus of power was dissipated and they couldn't, they couldn't maintain that, that, that sort of hold. And so by the end of possibly year seven, those girl leaders actually lost They'd lost their power. And by the beginning of year nine, Isabel, one of the very powerful groups, was actually very isolated and very, very lonely um, with the, and having very, very few friends. You're, you're a professor in the education department here at Goldsmiths and your department's obviously involved in training teachers. What do you think are the lessons in your research for teachers? Because... As you've mentioned earlier, sometimes teachers didn't really understand what was going on. What do you think comes out of your research that's useful if someone's in the classroom? I think the problem for teachers is not that they don't care or they're not interested, because they do. Teachers are are very, very sort of uh, busy people, but they've got a very good value system. But what happens is so much of it goes on below the radar. You hear girls talk about people whispering. Uh, whispering behind people's backs, Valerie Hayes' work on note-taking. It all goes on below the radar. So teachers don't actually see it. But what we need, I think, is for teachers to actually see those girls who suddenly become marginalised, suddenly become isolated, or there's a different dynamic, to notice who's in, who's out, and to actually see what's going on and why that might be the case. So instead of looking at the group leader, because as I said, she has a kind of charismatic quality, to actually look at the broader friendship base and to to try and kind of read the intra-group and dynamics of that friendship group, to try and see what it is that's happening. What I don't know within my research is I don't want these girl leaders to become quiet, to lose their voice. I think that's really important because it's not about putting them down at all because i i'm not convinced that this is these aren't nasty manipulative girls they're not the kind of queen bee as we're all you know as we see in the american kind of high school musicals it's not like that they're they're girls who are kind of survive with in current constructions of femininity where they're expected to be good where they're expected for adults you know, the thing that adults, they're led to believe that adults want are, are good, you know, kind, nice girls. And this is their way of trying to produce that. As I said earlier, they don't have permission to argue, to fight, to be competitive in the same way as boys have. So the last thing I'm trying to do is to actually put down these girls or set girls up as as a kind of abhorrent type of group. This is not the case at all. What I want is for other girls to challenge those constructions of femininity where they have to be seen as 
quiet and kind of accepting to actually voice up their concerns and to have the confidence to voice up their concerns, to read why these these girls do have so much charisma and to try and actually discuss it and to be supported in that discussion because I don't think this is a generational, it's gone on for generations and generations. They can't just suddenly be expected to change overnight. But we need the support, we need the support of teachers, we need support of parents and we need the support of head teachers because the parents that I've heard from, they they actually... Are, they feel like their daughter's bewildered. They don't know how to handle this. They've gone into schools and this construction where girls will be girls is, is no comfort to them. And in a way, it's a kind of reality that is not a reality. It needs to be challenged. And unless we actually can support teachers and give them time and space and to to actually have the space to reflect on this, because there are many, there, there's, there's so much money being spent on anti-bullying programmes. And, and school policies about anti-bullying. But this isn't included. This is, you know, there's so much spent on behaviour problems. But because all this goes beyond the radar and because there's a kind of these are girls and this is what girls do and it's all part of growing up, it's not included in these types of programmes. So maybe we need to rethink about what bullying actually means and for this to be included in, in kind of professional development programmes for teachers and for parents to actually feel stronger and to know they'll get support when, when they bring this up and bring it to the attention of teachers and schools in general. These girls are being affected, their learning is being affected by what's happening, and it's a very, very serious issue, I think. Thank you very much. Thank you.